My name is CJ. Um, actually, my full name is Charles James Clymer III, but please don't call me that. Please don't call me Chuck. Please don't call me Chucky, okay? I just have bad pictures of the little guy going, you know? Um, you can call my dad Chucky, but just not me, okay? Um, but yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Adrian. Um, been uh, around Adrian for my whole life, except for the years after I graduated, and I said, bye-bye. Um, and then I was determined at that point to say, I will never come back, and <laughs> God is very humorous, okay? And um, the way he brought us back is very interesting, and uh, you'll hear a little bit of that story this week. Um, I have, uh, right now, and hopefully forever, three kids, um, but again, I'm limiting this, and so we'll, I just curse myself, okay? So like God's going to go, yep, now you're getting three more. Um, but I have three kids. Uh, we have a five-year-old, just turned five-year-old. She is a blonde-haired beauty, and she is a firecracker. And I mean literally because she was born on the 4th of July. And uh, she lives up personality-wise to that date. So um, if you ever meet her, you will go, ah, that's CJ's kid, okay? Um, and then we have a eight-year-old boy who is a lot full of energy, too. Um, I, I would just say this. All of our kids are very uh, dominant personalities. And uh, one person said to me, they said, what did you expect? You have one stubborn marrying another stubborn, and you get a super stubborn. You know, like, it's the way it happens. And so we are trying our best to train them and guide them in the right ways. And sometimes we do good, sometimes we fail. And, uh, but, and then we also have a uh, 12-year-old that uh, is adopted. We adopted her a, a year ago, June. And she's from Ethiopia, a beautiful little girl. And uh, she's not so little anymore. She's like 12. Now, if you have any advice on this, she, how many have a 12-year-old or around that age? Okay, how many, you guys remember, you're a girl, and you remember what that time of life was like. Okay. Um, my mom tells me, good luck. Okay? <laughs> and what I have learned is, yes, that is true. That's the best advice you can have is good luck. Because she is very, uh, she's not only coming into a culture that is very unfamiliar with her, but praise the Lord for American culture that culturizes her really quick, you know? And everything she wants is iPods and DSs, and I'm like, where did you come from, you know? But uh, she is your typical preteen, and um, she is adjusting to our family well, and it's been a blessing to having her, having her in our life. And tell you what, you talk about growing. Um, go from an 8-year-old to a 12-year-old in one year. It's a whole fun time, okay? Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about our family. Uh, my wife and I have been married for uh, close to 12 years. Um, some people wonder how old I am. And I ask them, well, how old do you think I am? And some people go, well, I think you're like 19, 20. And I'm like, thank you, but no, that's not true. So just so you know, I'm 34, so I don't look like a little kid or a high school kid up here. Um, I am actually 34, and my friends tell me that I will appreciate, when I get older, people saying they look younger. I haven't got to that stage yet. I'm getting the hair, though, to prove it. So we'll see how that goes. But today, I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to get to meet this part of the family. I've been at Adrian uh, for, uh, since January, I've been volunteering as a campus pastor there. Um, I just came to Gail about six months ago, and I said, you need help, so I'll help you. Um, and he said, please. Um, and so I, I started helping him out there in January and uh, just 
volunteer my services, and then about three weeks ago, like Gail, or not Gail said, like Jeff said, um, I got hired. Um, and so it's, it's been a fun journey, and you'll get to hear more of the journey here in just a little bit. But I, when I say this, I truly, truly am excited for what God has and what he has in store for this church uh, moving forward. Um, I'm excited that God has invited us onto this journey, and we get to be a part of it. And I can tell you from experience, I've been right where everything's at right now, and I'm like, not again, you know. But God's going, nope, there's something valuable you, you have to give. And so we're, we're glad to come and be able just to give of ourselves. And um, one thing I'm actually really excited about is that I don't have to, like, fly through this service. Um, this is my first time speaking at both places. So it's like, got to move, got to move, got to move. You know, and it's like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. You know, I'm just stressing to get there in time. So if I go a little long, sorry. But I've crammed the other two services. So hopefully you'll like me. But today what we're going to do is we're continuing in our series called Summer at the Lake, and hopefully you've enjoyed this. I know I have, and I know our family's been really challenged with it, um, because really what this series is about, and we've said it from week one, is it, what does it look like to really follow Jesus? And not just follow him like, oh, there he is, I think, oh, you're going that way, yep, not that way. Um, but to really follow him wherever he is and wherever he goes. And today is an interesting part of the story that he teaches because we have to jump onto the, we have to get out of the boat. In the midst of the storm, God's inviting us out of the boat to follow him. And so uh, this week started pretty interesting for me. And whenever you're talking about something, I know you hear Gail say this, it's like all of a sudden it becomes even ten times like greater in your life. Like, ah, here we go, we're going to push on this. And this week my uh, oldest daughter, like I said, she's very... She asked a lot of questions. Thank God she hasn't asked the big question yet. Um, but she asked me some questions this week in, in her broken kind of English still a little bit and not completely putting the words together right, which I have trouble doing. Um, she said, your dreams are. And I'm like, uh, I dreamt about hot dogs last night. I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, no, 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 no. Uh, your dreams are when you were younger. And I'm like, what are you talking? I'm, I, then it clicked. I'm like, oh, you're asking me what my dreams were when I was younger. Yes. And so it's like you're playing charades, you know. Like, no, younger, you know, like this high. And we sat there and had a conversation. And she looked at me and she just goes, no, what, what, what are your dreams? I said, well, I guess when I was younger, I really wanted to be a, an architect. And like really held on to that dream till about ninth grade. And God took a different direction. And she's like, uh, okay. And her way of saying okay, she looked at me and she goes, uh, more. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess just like any American youth who plays sports, you want to be a professional at something. And she goes, uh, what were you good at? And I'm like, oh, here we go. And I go, well... I like playing football, I like playing baseball, I love playing basketball, I love playing everything. You know, if I could play it, I played it. And even if I couldn't play it very good. You know, tennis, I made it into a home run hitting contest. Um, but it was, this, it was an honest question, and I'm like, you know, I like playing football, but I really didn't have the size of an offensive lineman. And I didn't think of who I was talking to, she's like, huh? You know, football to her is soccer. And, um, and then she's kind of picking up on football going... This is weird. People just hit each other, you know? And she kind of likes that because she's kind of a rough person. But 
And I go, I don't have the body of an offensive lineman, and I don't, and I'm not fast. So that's about the only position I could play in football. And so that didn't work out. And then I said, I, I'm okay at basketball, but I really didn't have the height, and I really didn't have the coordination. And the, uh, one time I tried dunking a basketball off a platform about this high on a regular hoop. I broke both my wrists at the same time. So I took that as a gift from God to say, yeah, you're not called to do this, you know. And the uh, best part is it happened at church. <laughs> so busting my chin open, broken arms, you know. So you can only imagine. My dad was like, what did you do? I think I broke my wrist. My wrist is like this. So the conversation just kind of kept going and she, I was like, well, what's your, what's your dreams, you know? She's like, ah, I don't know. I'm like, you want to be a nurse? Uh, no. Uh, you want to be a teacher? Oh, no, not a teacher. I'm like, why not a teacher? Ah, too many kids. Uh, and it, but it was interesting because it, you could tell what's on her mind. You can tell what she was thinking. You could tell the question she was answering. And the cool thing I know about her and sometimes I have to be really careful that I don't take it personal. And it was really good because about two months ago, I went back to Ethiopia with a friend who does some work there. And, and when I was there, I really learned something about my daughter. And I really felt God strongly saying, your job with her, the reason I put her in your family, because it's been a rough year for us, or for me specifically with her. And she said, so that you can train her to come back here. And I was like, No. <laughs> No, that's like six years. Because the minute she's able to, she's like, hey, I'm going back to Ethiopia, you know, which we'll see as she gets older. But I said, Calcadon, God's allowed you this gift to be here to learn, to get an education so that you can go back and do whatever it is that your heart desires to do. And what makes me so excited is to be able to look at her and go, God's got you in his hands. And if it's not evident, just look back to your story. And God stopped me. And he goes, look back to your story. As I said, I didn't want to come back here. This was not my dream. This was not my chosen path, you know. And you look at it and go, I like this place. I'm like, good, that's good. I'm not cutting on you. But for me, it, was, it wasn't what I wanted. I had dreams of being something and doing something good and being and like having all kinds of security. And, because I grew up in a family where I just didn't have that security in a lot of things. And so this week, God really began to push in on that. And he began to look more specifically at this question. Let me start it with this question. Maybe you had this question when you sat down with someone that is really close to you and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. Or maybe it was like you sat down in your counseling office at your sophomore year and your counselor goes, okay, now we got to figure out what you're going to do with your life. Okay? What do you want to, if you could do anything with your life and you knew you weren't going to fail, you would do. <laughs> and just like you, even as a sophomore, you're sitting there going, can't fail. Where's that job? Sign me up, you know? Because I knew I was going to fail. And then they give you all these weird tests. Have you ever had that? Did anybody have that, like, assessment test? Yeah, mine turned out a taxi cab driver. <laughs> That's accurate, okay? Um, but it was interesting because I literally sat there and go, this isn't possible. But inside, I had all these dreams of, like, what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an architect. But then God changed my life and goes, uh, you're going to be a pastor. 
Oh, that's fun. I don't like being on stage. <laughs> I would never be caught dead in this place, like in this area, talking in front of people. And God's like, yeah, that's kind of funny too. Watch what you're going to do. You know? And so he takes me from a soundboard position to the front and going, uh, check, check. You know? But it started a journey that I wouldn't trade for anything. You see, whenever you hear that question, a lot of us go, yeah, that's really great to ask, but it's not really realistic. Like, I've tried to go after my dreams, and this is what happened. Or you don't know the situation that I put my family in when I did this because it took so much time, and it took so much of my attention. Or maybe you're looking at it going, I can never do that because... What's that person going to think? What's grandma so-and-so going to think about it if I do this? She's going to think I'm crazy, just as crazy as her. And we begin to have these like conversations in our head. Why? Because we go in on assumptions. And assumptions usually end up leading to a place where we don't want to be, and we end up going, okay, I guess I'm not going to do that because so-and-so won't like it, but you never had a conversation with so-and-so. Right? You see, I love this story we're going to talk about today because it invites us on a journey that I think none of us would, have, would choose. But once we get into it and we really get involved in it, we wouldn't trade for the world. You see, about three years ago, I sat with that question weighing on me and just said, this isn't me. I have a comfortable job, great family, great kids, a beautiful home, a great community of friends, from the church and from the community wide. My kids are involved in great in sports. They're excelling in everything. They're on great teams. They're on all these advanced things. And, and I'm just like, the people, our friends around here will just think we're crazy. <laughs> and guess what happened? We did that. Now you say, how and why? Well, because the invitation was there. And because everything that lined up said, you know what? Yes, you can remain comfortable here and be comfortable or you can set on an adventure with me and experience real life. And so today we're going to look at the story of Peter who, which I believed, embarked on an amazing adventure in the midst of a crazy storm. And I believe this was the beginning of a bigger journey for Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 14. Verses 22 through 31. It says this, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. A strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, kind of interesting to come from what we talked about last week, where we talked about, you know, that the disciples being in a storm and Jesus sleeping in the boat. We see Peter and the disciples again on the lake in a storm without Jesus now. And we see this, like, different picture. And Jesus wanted to teach us something about following him. And maybe it's something that all of us need to hear today. But I think the question that maybe Jesus might be asking us today is, there's a storm around you. Where are you going to look? Let's continue looking at it. About three o'clock in the morning, 
Jesus came towards them, walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you, walking on water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. This week has been interesting as you read this story because if you look at it from the different aspects and you kind of put yourself in the story, you kind of you kind of look at your life and go, well, who would I be in there? In this story, what, what like, of the people in the boat, of Peter, of wherever we were, what part would I be playing? And I think if all of us were truthfully honest, I think we would discover that there were two types of people that day. Peter who walked on water, and then the other ones were the boat people, the people that just sat comfortably in the boat. And you see, I think this story gives us a, a bigger picture of who God is. And, and the reason I say that is because of this. I think you can take this different ways. Peter's question to me this week has been just kind of sitting with me. Was he asking it sarcastically? Was he speaking from a deeper part of who he is that said, man, this is a dream of mine. And the guy that invited me to follow him is out there and he's walking on the water. So if I can do that, then I want to do that. But some part of me just sits there and go, but Peter's history goes, I think he might have just been a little sarcastic. Like, yeah, if it's you, ask me to come follow you, come out there. And Jesus is like, okay, come follow me. Come out. And Peter's like, uh, oh, okay. And here's the thing. I don't think that there was, at least we're guessing there's 12 people. I don't think there was 12 people in that boat right there. So like my, my thinking about the boat that he was in was not a boat where he was like, okay, here we go. You know, and tapping the water to make sure it's like solid and then taking the next step in. Like, I picture this happening where Peter's like, okay, you know, and then he climbs over the board, gets his hand on the edge, and he's like holding himself up there. And you know, you know how when you're like hanging from something, you're trying to find ground? He's like, okay, I hope this is good. Because remember the story, the boat was being rocked all over the place. And if that footing wasn't strong, what was happening to Peter? More than likely, he was going down, and he was going to go down under the boat. We don't know. But Peter walked, it says that Peter climbed out, stepped on the water, and he found it to be firm. And he began to walk towards Jesus. But we look at Peter sometimes, and a lot of people go, well, Peter failed. I don't think Peter failed. I think the people in the boat failed. But Peter didn't, because here's the thing. I think as he got out there, he was kind of walking out of like this dream that he had, you know, to do this. And then as he got further and further out, I don't know about you, but if I saw waves start hitting me on the side of the leg, and then all of a sudden, like, mist starts hitting me in the face, and the wind starts whipping all over the place, to me, I'd be like, oh, crud, I think I just wet myself, you know? Like, and then all of a sudden, start sinking. But yeah, he had the first instinct to go, Lord, save me. And it says that Jesus picked him up, pulled him back on the water, and he looked at him and said, you have little faith. 
Like, I can't imagine what that would feel like. But then Jesus just didn't, like, leave him hanging there. He walked with him back to the boat. And it says when he stepped in the boat, a calm came. Isn't it interesting when Jesus gets in the boat, calms everything. You see, I think there's a few things that are characteristic or things that keep the boat people in the boat. That keep them from stepping out and walking on water, of getting in this new adventure. And I think the first one is this, and it's, what are the things that keep you or keep us in the boat. The first one is this, the cage of responsibility. The cage of responsibility is where God's ordained passions get buried by the day-to-day responsibilities. Responsibilities that become spiritual excuses. So many are counting on me, right? Like, if I, if I mess up, like, I'm a responsible person. I'm sure all the boat people are going in there. Oh, there's Peter going again. Mr. Irresponsible, right? And it's like, Mr. Responsible in the boat just missed out on a chance of a lifetime. Because the difference between the people in the boat and Peter was Peter was willing to focus on Jesus and the people in the boat were looking at the circumstances and things happening around them and going, there is no way. I'm too responsible for this. Right? Responsibility is a cage that will keep you. And when I'm talking about cages, it's this. I'm not talking about they were sitting in cages in a boat. I'm talking about there's these things inside of you that keep you caged up within, that keep you from truly stepping out in faith to where God wants to take you and the journey he wants to invite you into. So we see the cage of responsibility. The second one is this, the cage of routine. (laughs) Now this is an interesting one. Because routines are good things when they're done right. Because routine... For routine's but but if routine becomes about routine for routine's sake, we need to disrupt it. Otherwise, sacred routines become empty rituals. Let's talk about this for a minute. You walk into this room. How many sit in the same seat every week? <laughs> I do. I'm. I don't. I, actually, I don't. But like, when I'm sitting there, I sit in the same seat. Why? Because we like routine. It's okay to like routine. Every book we read about parenting is like, establish a routine, establish a routine. Kids thrive in routines. Kids thrive. And I'm like, yes, they do. This week, we've had another conversation. Summer has made our kids crazy. Right? How do we get them back in a routine? We're going to be the mean parents that are going, you have to come in and go to bed at 9 o'clock. No! You know, and like the demon child comes out. But it's like, routine is good. Here's the problem with the routine. When it steals the awe and wonder of God. When your routine gets to the point where you can't see or sense anything wonderful or amazing about God, you need to shake it up. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you've stood in awe and wonder of the God you serve? And of Jesus, the one you follow. I think for a lot of us, we could sit here pretty guilty. Going, wow. I've let the routine kind of control things. Because you know what routine's about? When we want our kids on a a schedule, routine's ultimately about control. 
And again, control is good in the right situations, but when you're trying to control things for control's sake because you don't want to sink, it's unhealthy. When you're trying to control the environment around you, just like that person in the boat, I'm going to stay right here because this is controlled. Like, if I go any closer this way, I might fall over, but if I stay right here in the middle, I'm, I'm good, right? It's about control. The next one is this, the cage of assumptions. This cage can be seen when we begin living in a box. Losing imagination, assuming that you know how everything will work and how it will work out. In this cage, we put eight-foot ceilings all around us. This is the one where you start having those imaginary conversations with people. And you start assuming things that you think you know as truth, and it's not really truth. And you start living under these assumptions... And you know what happens when you live by those assumptions? You're staring right at the storm. And Jesus is going, why are you looking there? Because I assume that's where you're at. No, I'm right here. When you assume something's happening and you assume that that's the reason why it's happening and it's not really it. Can I give you a fair warning today? Be very careful about assumptions. Because assumptions can lead to gossip. Very quickly. And if the Bible's true, gossip can do a lot, a lot of damage. In the boat, are you living in the cage of assumptions? The fourth one is this, the cage of guilt. Nothing is as freeing as confessed sin, but nothing is as isolating as a guilty secret. Guilt has this shrinking effect. It shrinks our dreams, it shrinks our relationships, it shrinks our hearts, it shrinks our lives to the size of our greatest failures. I can tell you something from my personal experience. If I had not gone through this renovation of my soul about five, in the last five years, I would not be where I'm at today. Because I would literally look at you and go, I can't do that. There's too much secret stuff in there that's holding me back. Which leads to the next one, which is a cage of failures. These things kind of come together and they make it really, really hard to step out and do anything. I failed at this. Last time I tried this, I failed. What would have happened if Peter would have just said, yeah, I'm never doing this again. Last time I tried it, I sank. But Peter, what happened to you afterwards? Oh yeah, Jesus picked me up. You see, failure is good when your eyes are on Jesus. Failure is bad when your eyes are on the storm because it'll keep you out of the game. It'll keep you from going on the adventure. It's all in context. Now, don't hear me wrong. Failure is not good, but it's how you handle it. And you handle it better when your eyes are focused on Jesus. It doesn't keep you knocked down. It doesn't keep you locked up. The last one is this, the cage of fear. Many times we let fear guide our lives. We become afraid of being wrong, that we we end up doing nothing at all. Here's the thing I want to read to you, just this quote. It says, we need to quit living as if the purpose in life is to arrive safely at death. We need to start playing offense with our lives. The world needs more daring people with daring plans. Playing offense or playing defense? Today the question is this, will you focus on the storm or will you focus on Jesus? 
You see, I believe this day for Peter was a pretty important day. I believe it's a day that kind of set Peter apart from the rest. Because Peter learned to walk on water that day. So when Acts 2 came around in our, our books, <laughs> Peter stood up in front of the people not worried about what others think. Because you know what? Peter could have looked back at a few weeks ago and said, um, you want me to do this? Like, cock a doo right? Remember that? He could have let guilt, he could have let shame, he could have let fear, he could have let failure keep him down. The Bible says that Peter stood up boldly and under the power of the Holy Spirit began to speak. And what happened when he spoke? The Bible says that it pierced the hearts of those listening and thousands of people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior that day. Where did it start? I believe it started when Peter took the first step out of the boat. And he's willing to go, you know what, I might fail, but hey, this is worth the ride, let's do it. And he stepped out, and sure he sank, but he knew that Jesus was right there to pick him back up. And he knew that if he did it with Jesus, he was going to be safe. It's the beginning. Mark Batterson says this in his book, Wild Goose Chase. He says, the primary reason most of us don't see God moving is simply because we aren't moving. If you want to see God move, you need to make a move. Make a move. Today is a really special day for me. And you look at it and go, yeah, you get to speak to us. Yeah, no, that's not it. But it's special because it's, it's, it's a special day that we stepped out of the boat. A year ago today, we resigned our position at Valley Brook Church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. To step out on a journey that we could have never imagined. We came here with one purpose, and God had a different plan. There's been moments of failure. There's been moments of like, did I really hear you? There's been moments of assumptions. There's been moments of all this. And yet in the midst of all this, we took a step away. From a great community, from a great home, which we own for half the year, not living there. Not knowing where our paychecks were going to come from. Giving up a pretty good paying job. Moving our family across the country. Taking our daughter who had only been home in the United States a month. And then moving her again. Like we literally look at this and go, God, what are you thinking? <laughs> like my life can be summed up by things. Like when we got married, they were like, don't do this. And we did all of them. We moved across country. We moved away from her family. I mean, you're like, yeah, that was smart. But God had a different plan. Same thing happened with this. We're like literally looking at this going, all of our adoption, like caseworkers and all this stuff are going, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. You know, whatever. But we knew that that's what we were supposed to do. And it started pounding in our chest so hard that we knew if we stayed there, we'd be lying to people. We knew that we wouldn't be living out what God, what we'd been teaching people for the last four years. <clears throat> I would have never been able to make this step out of the boat if it wasn't for the last four and a half years of God renovating our story, of God taking the inside, the hurt, the pain, the junk that was built up inside and saying, look, I can make something beautiful out of it. 
And then opening up my eyes to see the people in my hometown and going, they need the same thing. To look at the people in the county and the community around it and go, they're hurting the same way you are. They have the same insecurities, the same fears, the same, just as you. God invited us on a journey. And you know when he did it? It wasn't a year ago. It was during the biggest storm of our life when all this stuff was being churned up from the deepest parts inside of us where we're having to deal with stories of abuse, of addiction, all these different things, and all of it was starting to come out, and God's going, look at that right there. See that? I'm like, I don't want to see it. No, you need to see it. Because there's something alive right there, and it needs to come alive. And so we began on this journey to go, okay, God, we don't know what you're doing. God goes, I know you don't, so here's the first thing we're going to do. You're going to adopt a girl. Uh, No. It's going to be from Ethiopia, and guess what? It's going to cost you a lot of money. And we're going to look at it and go, uh, huh? Because God knew one of my key sources was money. Why? Because I wanted security. So God starts by ripping away that security. We get through the whole process. We end up like completely coming through it like thousands and thousands of dollars, literally looking at it going, and we have no debt. Literally none. The little bit we had before with the van, none. And God goes, you ready for the next adventure? Okay. How much is this going to cost me? Cost me a lot. But I said it before and I'll say it again. Wouldn't trade it for the world. If I wouldn't have stepped out of the boat two years ago and started this process of adopting, I would have never been able to make this journey. Because this year has been constantly just looking at God going, God, how are we doing this? How are we paying for two mortgages? How are we taking care of our kids? How are we sending our daughter to preschool and we're having to pay? How are we doing this? This was not our plan. God goes, I'll take care of you, don't worry. I called you on this journey, I'll provide. I say this story so that you can see. It looks really scary. The storm around you is very ugly and very intimidating. But there's someone who's standing out in the midst of this storm that's inviting you to get out of the boat and walk towards them. You're saying, but you don't know my storm. doesn't matter. All of our storms are different. They're a storm. The question is what you will do. Will you sit in the boat, comfortable and secure, or will you step out on the journey? I thought of this this week. If we could make a t-shirt for the people that are water walkers, it would say, another day, another adventure. Why? Because that was the very thing that God said. He said, if you'll step out of the boat and you'll give each and every day to me, I'll take you on an adventure that you would have never dreamed of. I said the first service and service in here, and I said, I am out to reclaim Psalm 23 from the funerals. Because to me, Psalms 23 is not a funeral psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green mountains for his name's sake. He makes me lie down in green pastures for his name's sake, sorry. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the picture of what it looks like to follow. To follow the good shepherd who wants to lead you where he 
wants you to go. And guess what? He's going to take you through the valley of the shadow of death because he knows in order for you to get to the lush meadow over there, we've got to go through this. But his guarantee is he's got a thing in his hand. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. So my question to you in closing today is this. What adventure is he inviting you on today? Element Church, what adventure is he inviting you on? I know that people in this room have storms happening individually. I know corporately we have a storm going on. I know, I know, I know all this stuff. But the question to you is, will you focus on the storm or will you focus on Jesus trusting that he is taking us a place that we would have never went on our own? Because we're too responsible, right? The routine doesn't allow it. We're assuming things. Guilt, shame, fear, whatever you want to add to it. And he's saying, no, just follow me. Okay, God, we'll be dependent on you. Today, where are you at? For some of you, you may have walked in this room and you've never really even said, hey, I'm committing to follow Jesus wherever he leads with my life. And today might be that day for you to say, I'm going to take my eyes off the storm and I'm going to focus in on you. For those that are going through a storm, God's saying, Justin, just come along for the ride. Join the adventure. Because the coolest part of this whole story to me is that in the midst of a great storm, Jesus invited Peter out on an adventure that he would have never chosen. And it started that day, and we see the, the results of it. Where does your start? What's today look like for you? We're going to play a song in just a minute that I'm going to ask you just close and you just listen to the words or read the words on the screen, whatever you want to do. But I want, God, I want you to allow God to challenge your heart. Let's pray. God, today, in this moment, would you just give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you give us a heart that understands exactly why? We don't need answers of what it's going to look like. We just need to know why you're calling me. And so, God, would you today challenge us, change us, invite us into this adventure that we would have never chosen, but yet in the end we'll never trade anything for. So, God, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for what's ahead. In Jesus' name.